Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelke. He is Paul Dottino. And the phone number, Parity, is 201-939-4513. Give us a call. We have a bunch of guests today, but we will try to squeeze in a few calls in between the guests as usual. Our our next to final day of college draft prospects talking to people from the individual schools. And we'll get Florida State. Beat reporter for Knowles 24-7, Brendan Sinone at 12.05 in a couple minutes. Then we'll have Iowa reporter Rob Howe from Hawkeye Nation blog at 12.20. And then a pre-recorded interview with Rob Ryan that I recorded late yesterday afternoon. That'll air at around 12.40. But we'll try to squeeze in your calls in between. It's not a ton of prospects from each school, Paul. So we'll try to get through them relatively mm -hmm. quickly. Um, but we are now... Just over a week away from the draft, and it's coming fast and furious. And like I said, and I had this conversation with uh, Rob Rang, and I asked Rob actually, so Rob, you're talking to people around the league. Our impression is that nobody has any idea what the Giants are going to do. What's your impression from talking to GMs and scouts? He goes, they have no idea what the Giants are going to do. So right now, even though the Browns hold two of the top four picks, he said it, Rob said it to me, he thinks the Giants hold the key to how this draft is going to go, and they're kind of the fulcrum point here in round number one. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and you know, the interesting part for me is we haven't heard much burn for maybe the Browns talking to the Giants about flopping picks two and four. Because they're not going to do it. Okay, here's the interesting That's part. That's why we're not hearing any burn. Here's the interesting part. If they really want to take the quarterback of their choice and don't want to wait to four, then yes. they got to take them at one. And that's what they're going to do. Fine. And then if they really want Chubb to pair with Garrett, or if they really want Nelson, or if they really want Barkley, and they I told want they, one of those guys. And I'm told they don't really want Barkley, but okay. Okay. But if they did, Chubb to me is more likely. I agree with that. Uh, to get the bookend defensive ends. Well, you know what? I could see a deal where they've got – Three second-round picks in this draft. I could see them offering the Giants a deal to say, what's it going to take to flop two and four with you guys? Paul, let me ask you something. I can see it. And we, and we'll, Brandon, we'll get to you in one second. If you're, if you're the GM of the Browns, you're sitting there at four. Is the difference between Quentin Nelson and Bradley Chubb two second-round picks? Depends on how much you think that the bookend defensive ends are going to be very paramount to your rebuilding. The correct answer to that question is no. And if you're the GM, there's no way you would trade Quentin Nelson and two second-round picks to get Bradley Chubb. You know, would hey, you? I don't think you would. I know this you all this too isn't, well. This isn't, this isn't about no, me. No, I'm asking if you were the GM of the Browns, would you do that trade? Oh, if I were? Yeah. No. Okay, so there you go. But that doesn't Neither mean that I. they don't feel that well, way. That, 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 that's, that's also the point. possible. But that's I, the point. I, I like to use logic in some of these there, things. There I don't are, think that's very logical. There are a lot of folks who think the Browns really would love to get their hands on Chubb to put him on that. the opposite book. But I don't know if it's worth two second-round picks. We can get starters with those picks. Oh, I got news for you. It'd be a lot more than that. To move up two spots? Oh, to move up two to four? Oh, yeah. Well, Jets took three twos to move up three spots. So two, 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 two twos to move but up two to spots, get to, no? to get to two... To get to two. Well, it just got to three. Yeah, but two is higher than three. Yeah, so but five got, is before is higher than, than six. you got to get more than what the Jets got. I'm just telling no, you. No, but Paul, that's not going to happen. You're moving up two spots instead of three. How are you getting more than what they, because they got you're the getting, Jets bank? Because you're getting the second overall pick. But I'm you got the third overall pick. Look, you can live in the world you want to live in. I'm telling you, in my world, well, I'm telling you it's not the only happen. way I know it's not going to happen, but I'm <laughs> telling you, I would be willing to swap the two and the four if I got their 33rd, 35th, and their first round next year. I, w I would do it for – heck, you know what? If you get to the deadline and they offer me their best two for it, I might do it for one. Because it, it, to, to trade out of the number two spot, which I have advocated for right. months, you need to totally rip off that other team. But you're still getting the player you wanted for, so you don't have to totally rip off the other team. Depends on how you feel about – who you're going to take there. Well, but then you don't make the trade. If, if the, for instance, if the Browns take Barkley at one, if they were to do that, if they were to do that, let's just say for argument's sake, they take Barkley at one and they want to take Chubb or they want to take a quarterback with their next pick. And they don't want to be sitting behind the Jets because, oh, you know what? Maybe the Jets want the quarterback that we want. 
But that's why you picked the quarterback one. Well, you should. You should. Right. I mean, I'm just giving hypotheticals. Right. I hear you. I hear you. I'm not telling you it makes sense to me because okay. I wouldn't do it. Well, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. So we're on the same page. Well, if I'm the Browns, <laughs> if I'm the Browns, it doesn't make any sense at all. Right. So then why are but we discussing it? Because they're the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> that's well, why. Okay. They're the Charlie Browns of football. Uh, that's a fair point. All right. Let's get to our first guest. Brendan Sinone <laughs> covers the Seminoles for Knowles 24-7. Uh, Brendan, I apologize for having to sit through me and Paul's little squabbles here. Uh, we appreciate your patience. Thanks no, so much I, for being I, on. I, I enjoyed it and actually can i can i throw out a mad scientist theory please here? go ahead enjoy for the, for the, uh, all right what if the cleveland browns uh, they wouldn't do this what if they took two quarterbacks in the top four picks <laughs> and just double down and say hey we'll we'll, we'll, we'll it's a crap shoot let's take let's get one quarterback and out of this draft that we can uh, at least use and be serviceable and you know what brendan i think that actually is not as impossible as some of the other stuff I've heard. And you know what? If both guys end up being really good, you trade one next year and you get yep. your first round pick back, right? I don't think that's yeah, crazy, even actually. A, even a second? Yeah, it's. It, I don't think it would ever happen because it's just so out of left field. But the NFL draft such a crapshoot, especially when I mean, you're trying to find a franchise quarterback. How often are you in a position to yeah. get you know two with, with such a decent quarterback class to get two guys in, in the top four? I'll tell you I, what, I it's, it's crazy, but I'll tell you what would be either. funnier if somebody had a leftover index card and they passed up Johnny Manziel. Who <laughs> <laughs> brought him up to the podium? We picked Johnny Manziel. Oh, wait. Anyway, <laughs> I think Paul had a couple of. Uh, Mimosas with his breakfast this morning. Nah, we're all, all right, good. Here we go. Uh, let's go to a guy that I think is probably going to be off the board in the top ten, and that's Derwin James. Um, c coming off the injury, and a lot of people thought he kind of started slow this year. But, boy, his athletic testing is through the roof. Uh, he can do just about anything you want on the football field. Just a redshirt sophomore now. Doesn't have a ton of experience, Brendan. Uh, your thoughts on what you've seen from Derwin James. Is he really just scratching the surface on the type of player he can be? How much better can he still get? I agree with you. You say yeah, he started slow this season. He did, uh, based on, I think, relative to the expectations of what he was. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys recall, but like ESPN and I think it was Sports Illustrated, a couple yeah, reputable publications put him as the number one player in college football yep. entering the year. And that was coming off a season-ending knee injury, which only played you know, a game and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, he was excellent as a true freshman. I mean, if, you know, if fans are looking to, to watch film of his, go watch him as a true freshman. And some of the stuff they did with him – uh, putting him as like an edge rusher, some of the things he did athletically, it's pretty crazy and eye-opening when you talk about him just scratching the surface of what he can do. Uh, and this year, as as a redshirt sophomore, I guess you know, he was good, guys. I mean, he he started off slowly, but he worked his way into it, uh, into the you know, into getting into a groove. Uh, and they asked him to do do different things than he had done as a as a true freshman. And he had to kind of protect the back end of the defense because the cornerback play wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be entering the year. So. He wasn't in the box as much, but, but he's a guy you look at, you know, then I think the name of the game now in the NFL is, is defending in space. Uh, he's a guy who can, you know, play a little bit of a, as a, as a high safety. He can move down in the box and, and cover in the flats and he could pass rush too. I, I honestly think that his ability to get to the quarterback may be his most special attribute. I don't think you do that all the time with him, but athletically, yeah, you, you see all the testing and stuff. That, that's everything that we've seen this past couple of years. Uh, the metrics say that he's been a top safety. PFF is ranked him as the number one safety. In 2015 and 17, I, he, he's good. I don't know where he goes in the draft, uh, but he's definitely a top 10 player as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he's he's really good, and there's not many flaws to his game. Sounds like a, the type of Swiss Army knife that James Betcher would love to have in his uh, bag of tricks. Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about <laughs> that. In fact, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I kind of compare him to what Jabril Peppers was. You know, when Peppers was coming out because he was that typical Swiss Army knife and then did not make as big an impact in the league last year as some people thought I he think, would. I think the difference is, though, that James probably had a more defined position at safety yes. for Florida State than Peppers did for Michigan. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. What's and, your and take on it? I, I think Peppers, you know, remember watching him coming out. He was someone I tried to study a little bit because, you know, FSU was playing uh, Michigan in the 2016 Orange Bowl, and he ended up not playing, and that was a pretty right. big narrative that game. Go ahead and ask Florida State fans about that. He was uh, his name was probably mentioned 20, 25 times, and I remember <laughs> someone saying, you know, the best safety uh, on either roster has been out for the entire season. That was Derwin James. I, I think uh, Peppers was a nice college player, but he was more of a jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. I didn't think he was elite at any one level. I thought he was good at a bunch, and and I think that's maybe why he struggled a little bit as a rookie in Cleveland. Um, Derwin James, I think, has elite skills. Again, I keep going back to the pass rushing. I think 
at the very least, guys, you could put him as, as some kind of situational pass rusher as a rookie, and he would do have yeah, he would wreak havoc in that role uh, just with his pure athleticism. But but you're right, he he had more of a defined role I think at Florida State, and I think he was just I mean again go back and look at some of the what the what the people that do the analytics and stuff say. Um, he he was the top safety in football for for two you know, the other two seasons he played, uh, and I, I, based on what I've seen. Obviously, I'm not able to watch you know, all the football on Saturdays. I'm focused on Florida State and covering right. that. I didn't, I didn't see a safety that was better than him. Um, but, but the Jabril Peppers, uh, you know, th- that comparison, I think is apt based on what what a defense would would do with him. That's his appeal. I think he's a more complete prospect, though. Um, I don't know if he goes in the top ten. A lot of mock drafts, which take you know take that for for what it's worth, have him going in you know some some in the top ten. But I think lately he's been going more in the teens. It's yeah. just tough to see a safety going in the top ten nowadays. But but I do think he's He's a complete prospect. Weird thing for me is here we are talking about Florida State prospects, and here's your first rounder in James, and then there's really kind of a dropping off the cliff uh, after that. Uh, and, and that's just not what we're used to talking about with Seminoles football. But Nadi, a defensive tackle, to me he's a 4-3 defensive tackle when he gets to the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he really interests the Giants all that much. But certainly this is a guy who's probably going to be the second Florida State player off the board, don't you think? Uh, you know what? I, I think well, I'll put it this way. I think Derek Nottie is probably this outside of Derwin James. He's probably the safest Florida State player. You know, about five or six guys that could be drafted. I think he's the one who you know what he is. He's yep. a run stopper. Uh, he's not great at rushing the passer. He's kind of sawed off. He's limited athletically, but he's super strong. He's smart. Uh, he's a really good kid too. Like he's, he's always been enjoyable to talk to. Really has a head on straight. Um, I think he brings value as a guy who you know is going to be a two-down player. I do think there's a, a limit to what he can do. Uh, you, know, you see so many teams put value into guys that can rush the passer uh, nowadays, and, and I don't think that's a strong suit for him. So I do think that stifles his stock a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I do think if you're looking at who the, the next Florida State player off the board is after Derwin James, and that you're presumed, you know, assuming you know, some, somewhere in between, you know, say 10 and 20, he goes in that range, uh, maybe a little bit higher. I've seen some mock drafts, the seven uh, with Tampa Bay Bucks. But the next guy I think you see go off the board is, is Josh Sweat, uh, the defensive okay. end, uh, edge rusher type, freaky athlete, win healthy. He's had some major, major knee injuries uh, before he even got to college. Uh, it was basically, you know, a, an ACL, MCL dislocation. He thought he was going to have to get amputated at one point and yeah. really uh, hasn't been confident on it. But I, I think he's a guy who, who probably is the next guy taken just because of his upside. Yeah, uh, and talk about upside, 124-inch broad jump, a 39.5-inch vertical jump, a 4.53 in the 40-yard dash <laughs> at 251 yeah. pounds, and a 4.28 20-yard shuttle. Those are ridiculous times. And I guess my question for you, and you mentioned he maybe doesn't look still very sure on that knee, is how, are teams just going to have him crossed off their board? You think because of the medical, or is he far enough off that injury where you think teams are going to be willing to take a chance on him on day two and round two or three? Well, so so according to Josh, and this is what, what he says that the medical is checked out. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, take that for what it's worth. But I haven't heard any any reports saying contrary to that that the knee is actually held up pretty pretty well. Um, I, I think that more than guys, just more than just the the knee injury itself is. That's how that kind of limited him, either physically or maybe even mentally. Uh, that those those times that you rattled off at the combine, and then I got the chance to watch him at his pro day, and he was really really impressive. And I remember looking at one of the reporters next to me that you know we've all, we've all been covering him for the last three seasons, and where's this athleticism been? Because it just he looked really unsure of himself mm, at times. He didn't have a burst off the line of scrimmage, and part of that, you know, I'm wondering, okay, is that is that the knees? Is just not 100 percent? He adapted his game. He was really good guys against. The run like he, he was a good edge setter he was uh, for someone who's not you know, super bulky he's like 250 pounds um but he never had that burst that made him a five-star recruit and you had heard your know, and clowny comparisons and that just never saw that but uh, apparently and this is probably what nfl teams have to vet uh he decided to take off that knee brace and once he did and it took a little while once he started training for the nfl draft um he started the times started getting better the 40-yard time the agility the broad jump all that all that stuff all those metrics that you know, people try to weigh and, and see how, how important is that to, to test someone's athleticism uh, got better as he got more confident without that knee brace on. Now, does he put the knee brace on back on in the NFL? Uh, does that athleticism that tested you know, translate now that, that he you know, doesn't have the, the knee brace? And that, those are questions that I don't know the answer to and no one knows because we haven't seen him without it. We've seen glimpses of what he can be. Um, but 
but that's the question for, for whether an NFL team likes him or not that high. Yeah, and that problem isn't just a physical thing. It's a mental thing, too. Some guys have a mental block mm-hmm. when they're wearing a brace that they're, they're, not, they're not balling all out uh, because, you know, they've got the apparatus on. Let me ask you this. I see him as a, as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Do you think that what you've seen of his skill set, it will better translate to a guy who's going to be weak side and try to get after the quarterback and go upfield? Or do you think he's going to be better off suited on the strong side trying to jam tight ends and showing some coverage ability? I think, I think that's probably where his upside is, the latter, is being a strong side guy. Because, again, he's really good at setting the edge and stopping the run. He doesn't like it. He likes getting after the quarterback, but you know he doesn't have enough quarterback you know, sacks and production that I think call a shot in the NFL and say that's what I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked comfortable dropping in space when they asked him to, especially he saw it a couple times in the spring game. He looked really good and comfortable back there. Uh, I, I thought that you know they ran this hybrid scheme at Florida State, and, and I think it kind of probably was a little bit too much for a lot of college kids to, to deal with. Sometimes he was like a 4-3 end. Sometimes he was a 3-4 outside linebacker. Sometimes he was standing up. Sometimes he had his hands in the ground. And it, I think it was just a little bit too much for, for him. And, and a lot of guys kind of dealt with that the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. uh, I thought he was at his best when, when he was asked to set the edge. Um, and if you ask him to, to be a strong side outside linebacker in a 3-4, I think that's where his upside is. Um, and maybe you have pass rush packages where you put him on the edge or even kick him inside. He did that sometimes, too. Uh, and try to let his length, you know, be be disruptive. I mean, I do think there's something intriguing about his his versatility, and then kind of what you can. You know, not every full team is probably going to like that about him and his upside. But again, there's just question marks about the you know, production and 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 that knee. Uh, I think that would be concerning to me is is how confident he is on it. You said earlier, mental block. I think that's a big part for him is how confident is he on it in the NFL. All right, I want to get to two guys, and it's weird to, to put a cornerback and a receiver in the same category here, but I think in this draft <laughs> you have a lot of undersized guys at both positions, yet Florida State has a 6'2 corner that's 200 pounds and a wide receiver uh, in, in Auden Tate that's 6'5 and 225 pounds. So they're like, wow, these guys must be really be valuable in this draft class. Well, here's the problem. The corner, Tavares McFadden, ran a 4'6'7, and the receiver, Auden Tate, ran a 4'6'8, not ideal numbers for those two positions. So uh, is that what you think is really, uh, Brendan, holding these two guys back? Is their raw speed ability? That's part of it. I, I think some of that would be – you know, some of that is understandable because you mentioned their size. Like, that's not – neither of the game is predicated on being blazing fast. Uh, the appeal, I think, with Auden Tate is at 6'5". Uh, he's open even when he's not open. And that's kind of what you saw in this past year right. uh, is that, that he's a guy who doesn't need to – get a lot of separation that's really not going to be a strong suit um, but he's someone who's going to be a good jump ball uh, specialist and I think he had a drop rate of like only five percent he, he was pretty pretty consistent catching the ball and usually in traffic too and McFadden kind of kind of the same deal on the opposite side uh, to where he's his game's more predicated on on length and being disruptive getting his hands up and passing lanes and and uh, and trying to be physical I, I think the issue for both of them beyond the 40 time is uh, for McFadden, his film, uh, his junior year wasn't great. I don't know if you guys remember, but he was someone that that you know, a lot of pundits had as a you know potential first round pick, second yeah. second round guy because he was so productive in 2016, and he was good. He what eight he interceptions? I think on. right. I think he had eight interceptions that year. Yeah, he led the NCAA with eight interceptions. Yeah. Uh, you know, part of that was teams picked on him, um, but then then he started kind of coming around the second half of the season. And was really a shutdown cornerback. Um, you know, he went from giving up a lot of big plays to, to kind of cutting that down, and teams kept trying to test him, and he capitalized on it, which is you know good on him. Uh, but then this past year, he just didn't look really confident. Um, again, it's just so tough. If Florida State was not a good team this past year, uh, the, there's you know the coach left, and there was just a lot of confidence issues throughout that roster. And I think McFadden kind of embodied what happened with the program this past year, just, just potential not not met. So for him, that's the issue. And Tate, I think the big thing, guys, is he has dealt with some injuries, uh, and I think that slowed him down in his development. I think he is worth being drafted for sure. Um, you know, probably in the fourth or fifth round, I think he's worth you know that kind of value because he's a big guy who's really athletic going up to get the ball. Uh, I just think there's some limitations that we've seen right now, both one athletically to, to where uh, he's struggles to, to get separation, even though that's not a huge deal because he's so tall. I, I wonder what he's going to do against you know, top-tier cornerbacks in the NFL. But um, you know, he has had some injury issues. I think that's kind of slowed down and, and hindered his stock and, and then a lack of production on his end uh, in the college level. Well, you know, again, I only look at cut-ups, so I, I can't say on a play-by-play basis 
what corners did to him. But with his size, I'm going to guess there wasn't a lot of press coverage or jamming at the line. People were probably giving him some cushion. Did you see much of that? Because when he gets to the NFL, even if he's a red zone guy, they will jam him at the line knowing that he doesn't have the speed to get around. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was anyone that just really got up in his face and, and, and pressed him. I think that was typically how teams approached him was the opposite of that, was to give him, yeah, give him a little bit of cushion. Which and makes sense. Play. So I, I guess that's kind of a, uh, in my mind, as I, as I look at him and I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know if that's something I could say is a strength or a weakness of his game, to be honest with you. I don't know of anyone really how he was tested at the point of attack like that coming off the line. Yeah, and, that, and that'll hurt him because they'll get in his grill in the NFL. I'm telling you that right yeah. now. They will get in his grill. I don't care if he's a red zone guy or not. They will jam him on the line. They won't let him get free. And and all of a sudden now he'll be he'll be rendered useless. So that's something that people are going to have to figure out. Brendan, I got Brendan, I got one final question. Any anybody else from the group of Florida State prospects coming out that you really like that you maybe think is getting shortchanged a little bit, and you think teams should really be targeting maybe late day two, early day three that you think can make an impact? Well, I'll preface it with this. I don't know if I would spend a draft pick on either of these two guys, at least until probably the seventh round, but they're worth looking at based on athleticism and upside. And it's two linebackers, Matthew Thomas and Jacob Pugh. Uh, Matthew Thomas has been pretty productive the last two years, and he came to Florida State as a five-star recruit back in 2013. I think he was he was ranked between somewhere in coming out of high school between Jalen Smith and then uh, oh, who's the, the linebacker type that the Redskins drafted. Uh, from Alabama a year ago. Oh, um, Allen. I can't remember. Allen. Yes, yeah, Allen, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was ranked right in between those two guys coming out of high school, and Matthew Thomas was, was a blue-chip prospect, uh, but he's a guy who's dealt with uh, a couple uh, suspensions, one for half a season, one for a full season for off-field stuff, uh, okay. and then injuries. Uh, but you look at his, if you pull up his athletic testing, it's pretty special uh, what he can do. I think FSU had him playing inside linebacker, which I don't think was his strength. He had to think a little bit too much where he got, you know, he just seemed rigid. Uh, I would just put him on the edge and let him, you know, kind of do his thing as, as an athlete and let him be like a pass rush specialist. I think he has some upside at the next level. And then, and then Pew is another guy who was kind of misused at Florida State as well. I think they put him at Sam linebacker and had him try to do a little bit of everything, kind of like I mentioned with, with Josh Sweat earlier. I think he was misused, miscasted. Uh, as another guy who was ranked really highly coming out of high school, and, and his athletic testing was, was pretty good. Uh, I think Thomas has a chance to be, be drafted uh, and, and could be someone that makes an impact on special teams and maybe a little bit beyond that eventually because of his upside. Uh, Pew, I think, is worth taking a look at in, in camp and, and someone as a yeah, priority free agent. Those are two guys that I thought, you know, if, if, I thought they were misused the last couple of years. And if Florida State you know, had to use them correctly, maybe we're talking about them being you know, maybe a six-round pick for, for Pew and maybe a fourth-round pick for Thomas. But, but that hasn't been the case. Great. Brendan, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much today, and we'll talk to you down the road, all right? Thank you. All right, bye, guys. Brendan Sinone does a great job. Knows 24-7, beat reporter for them. Uh, make sure you check him out on Twitter. You can find him. Um, and, again, Florida State, not as many guys as we usually see. Probably just one first-round guy. Yeah. Well, just one first-round guy. Maybe only one first-slash-second-round guy as well, which is mm-hmm. not what you see uh, usually year-to-year. One school that will have maybe two players going round number one. I guarantee you have two players at least on round one and round two, and that's the <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes. And joining us to talk Iowa Hawkeye football is Rob Hot, Rob Howe from the Hawkeye Nation blog. Rob, you got John Schmelk and Paul DeTino in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing great. great. Thanks for joining us. And I want to start um, – with one of the offensive linemen coming out of Iowa, not a surprise. They're a bit of an offensive lineman factory over there with Kirk Ferentz and his NFL-style <laughs> offense. He does a great job coaching these guys up. And James Daniels seems like one of these you know, guard center types that would be great in a, in a move zone scheme. Get him out, get him moving, let him block on the go. And he should be a day one, very solid interior offensive lineman in the NFL. Do you think he's one of the safer prospects you've seen coming out of Iowa in a while? I do, guys, and I, and I think, you know, it's a combination of things that makes him that. Um, he's obviously productive on the field, um, and, and unlike some other guys that have come out of Iowa, he was a known commodity coming out of Warren uh, High School in Ohio. Um, he was a five-star, four- or five-star, you know, prospect coming out. He turned down schools like Alabama and Ohio State to go to Iowa. His brother, uh, who played uh, in the NFL last year with the Redskins, um, Sean Daniels Jr., his dad played in the NFL. Um, so he's got those bloodlines. 
Um, but that was the thing that his his brother being in Iowa got him there, mm. um, and he produced once he got there. And the things that I think I've heard about him that stand out the most, guys, is not only his athleticism, but his intelligence. I think NFL scouts feel like they can put him in, plug and play him right away, and he'll get it. Whatever system he goes in, into, he's going to understand. The Iowa coaches um, gushed about how much knowledge he had and how much he helped even coaching the offensive line himself. So I think that's really – those are a couple things that make him such an attractive prospect. I don't think there's any question that people see him as the best setter in this draft. But as you know, a lot of times in the NFL, much like when the Giants drafted Weston Richburg, he played guard out of necessity as a rookie before then settling into his natural position. In, in your opinion, could Daniels wind up playing some guard until he settles in maybe as the center for a, an NFL team? Yes, without question. He actually started at Iowa at guard. They had uh, Tyler Blythe, um, who plays for the uh, L.A. Rams now, was the center in 2015 when James came in as a true freshman. And as a true freshman, he played guard while Blythe stuck at center. And then he flipped over to center in 2016 and 17 once Blythe graduated. And another thing to keep in mind about Daniels is he won't be 21 I believe until August to September of this year. He's young. Billy Price from Ohio State, who's the other top center in this draft, I believe is three years older than James Daniels. So that's a factor as well. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a real good point. And position flexibility, especially on the interior, is something uh, that teams look for. I want to jump uh, to another player that could sneak into the first round. And I'm not sure... Um, if at this time last year, Rob, you would be sitting here talking about Joshua Jackson as a potential first-round pick in the NFL draft, came on gangbusters uh, in 2017, led the nation with eight interceptions, and he just turned out to be a fantastic playmaker. What clicked for him uh, that turned him into the prospect that he is now from what you saw in 2015 and 2016? Yeah, you, as you guys know, I was a developmental program. A lot of guys don't emerge until they're, you know, into their upperclassmen or into their third year in the program. And Josh kind of fell into that. He, he was a two-star prospect coming out of um, out of the Dallas area. Um, Iowa wasn't sure where he would play, whether they'd play him at wide receiver or cornerback. They began to develop him as a cornerback, and he played behind uh, three-year starters in Desmond King and Greg Maben, both of whom are in the NFL now, and he finally got his opportunity last year, and he made the most of it. I don't think he, the coaches, or anybody else, you know, in or outside of the program, thought he would emerge like that. But in talking to C.J. Beathard, um, uh, the quarterback that came out of Iowa last year, um, I spoke with him last fall as, as Josh was emerging, and I said, did you see this coming? He goes, when I was playing against him and he was on the scout team or the second team, he was always the most athletic guy out there. Could jump out of the, you know, incredible jumping ability, quick twitch athlete, uh, real good hips, could turn. All the things you look for, he had. It was just a matter of him honing his skills and getting the fundamentals down, and he put it all together last year, and he was a great story. Now, unless I'm mistaken, it looked to me like he was more of a zone corner than he was a press corner. Uh, is, do you think, if, first of all, did, did you see it that way? You saw him more plays than I did. Uh, and, and then if not, uh, if, if, that, you know, if, if I'm correct in that, uh, is that because of his skill set or is that because of the scheme that they ran? I think it's more scheme-related. Um, he did do both. Iowa does play multiple defenses um, and uses their corners and, and secondary men in different ways. Um, I think he's probably more comfortable in zone, and that's where that is coming from now, scouting-wise. Okay. Um, but I think he has the ability to, to play the bump and run and press because um, he, he's such a good athlete. And, and like I said earlier, guys, he really emerged last year. I think his best football is still ahead of him. He's still learning the game, and he's another guy that you, that's relatively young for the class. So um, I think he can come in and play right away. But I think he's get better too. He, once he gets into the NFL and focuses on football full time and doesn't have to go to class and do all that other stuff. I'm not surprised that you said he came in as a wide receiver, by the way, because the way he anticipates routes and gets after the ball in the air, you can see how he took what he knew and learned as a wide receiver and really applies it to corner. So while he's still raw in some ways, you know, and maybe some of his technique, you mentioned he wasn't great in position drills. I think what he did at wide receiver has really transferred over to his cornerback skills, and that is kind of what sets him apart, no? 
I, I think so. I think he's a pretty well-rounded guy. And, um, you know, last year, and I'm not going to make the comparison, but last year Desmond King got knocked a lot for the way he, he performed in precision drills in the combine, and, and maybe his, some of his testing didn't match up to what you're looking for um, at the position. But then he went to, you know, he went to L.A. Chargers and had a really good uh, rookie season. Started really for them. Yeah, he did. And yeah. I think a lot, a lot of people were, I mean, he was a fifth-round draft pick. I like a lot of people kicked themselves for not taking him earlier. Um, and I think that's why maybe Jackson is getting a little bit more benefit of the doubt, saying, okay, he, we, we saw this last year with King coming out of the same same uh, college program. This kid has been taught the position really well. Let's see, and maybe maybe he doesn't go first round, but I think I don't think he slips past the second round. Um, I'm looking at Joseph Jewell, uh, the inside linebacker, who for me is is an inside backer in in a three four scheme because of his frame and his measurables. Um, what is your take on on him uh, coming into the NFL? Just a really good football player, guys. Again, not a guy that probably matches up measurables-wise with what NFL scouts are looking for, um, kind of like Desmond King, but he's a guy that was just ultra-productive here. Um, he was a unanimous All-American you know, all this year. Um, he, was a, he was a team captain for three years here. So he has a lot of those intangible things. He runs pretty well sideline to sideline. He's not the biggest, tallest, fastest guy in the world. But he understands the game, and he understands how to play and how to make plays. Um, and he's got good leadership qualities, too. He's probably going to be a little bit of a project, but he's a guy I think you can put on special teams right away, and he helps you. Yeah, I mean, you watch Josie Jewell on tape, and he's you're right, he's a football player. He knows where to go. He's smart. Um, he makes plays. But then you look at his combine testing, and you go, oh, does he have the athletic ability to transfer that to the pro level? Maybe I'm not sure. Um, how did he do in – some of the college situations that required more athleticism, coverage, tight ends, carrying a tight end up the seam, sticking with running backs in space out of the backfield. Uh, how did he do in those aspects in college? Because I think in the pros now, that's the stuff you really have to be good at in order to stay on the field at inside linebacker. Yeah, I would agree, and I think those are the question marks with him, guys. And he did it at times, but there were other times where he didn't do it that well. I think he got better as his career went on, and he had a better understanding I mean, he's, 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 he's kind of a gym rat, if you can use that for football. He's in the <laughs> film room all the time. He looks for, he looks for ways to, to beat the opponent where maybe he lacks in athleticism. He makes up for it in preparation. Um, so I, I think he reminds me a little bit of Pat Anger, who played here and played middle linebacker here. He graduated in 2009 and played a few years with the Colts. He reminds me a little bit of him where he's, he's a smaller guy, not the most athletic guy, but he can be a productive guy. I think you got yourself another project there in in Wadley at running back. Uh, you know, again, he's one of those guys he's going to have to be in the right place with the right coaching staff, with the right patience, and the right role for him to be an NFL player, in my opinion. But he certainly has some ability. Yeah, he's, he made huge plays here. He's, he, you know, in Kirk Ferentz's 20 years of, of, you know, being the head coach and running this program – I think you could put Wadley in, you know, in the top five or so best playmakers that he's had. He's that good. Um, he, he almost single-handedly beat Iowa State last year with some plays he made late in that game. Just, you know, not things that aren't coachable but just are innate that he's able to do. Um, very good vision. Um, he's just not a big guy. You know, he's yeah. probably 5'10", and, and – Lucky when he gets to 190 pounds. He's not a guy that's going to be able to, to take the pounding of being an ever-down back, but a situational guy, a guy that can help you on special teams, I think he fits somewhere. But like you said, he's got to find the right system and the, and the right coaching staff that wants to maybe be a little innovative in how they use him. Yeah, Rob, at that height and weight, it screams third down back to me. But in order to get on the field on third downs, you need to be good at pass protection. <laughs> Why did he do in that respect at Iowa? Uh, he's a really good receiver. He was, well, I think, maybe the third leading receiver last year, and they had some injuries um, at wide receiver, and maybe that facilitated that. But he's very capable in the passing game. Um, he got better at blocking, which is obviously a big part of being a third down block, a back, excuse me. So I think he's he's in the he's getting in the right. Um, uh, you know, he's getting that technique down. He's starting to be, understand that that's part of what his role will be. So I think he worked on that the last few years, and I think he's getting better in, 
in all those areas of being a third down tight back. Rob, wonderful information, wonderful stuff. We really appreciate the time today. We'll talk to you down the road, all right? Thanks very much. Sounds great, guys. Rob yeah, Howe, Hawkeye Nation blog. We thank him for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll get to Rob Rang in a second, Dave. Charlie and Huntington Beach been holding the whole time. i got to get him on. Charlie, <laughs> what's going on? You got Schmelk and Dettino. Charlie, hello. Give him a second. Come on, Charlie. You've been holding the whole show. I don't want to hang up on you, bro. All right, put him back on hold, Dave. Leave leave him up. I'll talk to Paul for a minute, then I'm going to go back. Okay. Him, okay? <laughs> I want to give him a chance. Yell for 40 minutes. I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, he might have fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, these guys that we talked about today, I think Derwin James is the uh, – James, Daniels, and Jackson are the three guys that yeah. could all be first-round picks. Oh, yeah. And and Daniels in particular, you mean, he's he fundamentally so sound, and it's quite clear how smart he is. You can tell by his assertiveness on the field. And, by the way, we heard him talk at the Combine, too. Yes. Very bright Yes, guy. we did. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And so and, – and, of course – I did not know earlier in his career there that he had played some guard. That will count for a lot of points uh, when he's on the draft board. I'd love for him to be there at 34. Unfortunately, I do not think that's going to happen. No. No. you got a better chance of Price being there because, because of the, the injury. injury. Yep. Or Hernandez. Which which isn't a bad thing either. No. If you, if you get him pushed down to you because of the injury and you take him at 34, he should be back in time to do everything in training camp. They were saying June even. I think I, that's probably a little I think optimistic. You'd probably be careful with him. Probably but optimistic. If you can get Billy yeah. Price on your roster ready to go by training camp, that's not a bad plug idea. Plug and play starter, not guard. Not a bad idea. Nothing wrong with that, Bowie Dots. All right, now I'm told Charlie is there now. Charlie, what's going on, yeah. pal? Hi. Oh yeah, and and Daniels in particular. You mean, <laughs> that's us Charlie, again, Charlie. Charlie, what you are you got, doing, Charlie? You got to listen through your phone, man. You can't listen through the speaker. Charlie, you there? No, this is Tommy. Oh, Hi. Johnny in Huntington Beach. That's why we had confusion. Johnny, oh. what's up? All right. Hello. Hey, I kept going on. This is Charlie. You're putting down hold. <laughs> I'm hey, sorry. I'm on hold. <laughs> Johnny, hey, what's up? Thanks for taking my call, guys. No problem. We're glad I'm to have you. I'm on the draft. I'm going crazy listening to all these reports about the draft, and Rosen's going to be the top guy, and Donald's going to be the top guy, and on and on and on. Anyway, I think at number two, we should train down. Okay. Charlie, but you need two to tango. That's the trick. No, I understand that, but you know we know uh, Buffalo will will make um, a trade. But the key is that you know the last two years Manning has not had his best years, and we have Davis in the wings, and we don't know if Davis is going to make it as a you know a top quarterback in the league. Okay. So I think we should get some extra picks for next year in case we do have to make a trade for a quarterback or trade up to get a draft to get a, a top. Correct. Is anybody coming out next year that looks good, potentially? Next year's quarterback class is not supposed to be as deep as this one, but I remember a few years ago, I forget which class it was, and people were talking before the year how great the quarterback class was, and all three or four quarterbacks all fizzled out, so it's really hard to anticipate, Johnny, but I actually agree with you. I think if you do make a trade with Buffalo, I think Paul's on board with this too. I think you have to get their number one next year correct. as part and of that two. deal. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I know about their number two next year, but you got to yeah. get their number one As, next especially year. Especially if you're getting two ones and a two this year, it's going to be hard to get a one and, and a two by next the way, year too. I believe Coach Shermer's son, who is a quarterback at Vanderbilt, will yes. be in next year's draft. Just something well, to throw out there. Yeah, there's our draft choice. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, I listen to oh, the podcast, and I listen to the Cowboys, and I listen to the Redskins, and occasionally also the Eagles. Cause I walk my dog a couple hours every day. Nice. So I get into popcorn. And, oh, they are so crazy with the draft this year. Oh, I thought you guys were bad, but they're terrible. Oh, okay. <laughs> this guy got to do this. And then, and then when Brian got released, they went on and on about him. So they're looking for him to come to the Giants. Uh, well, it's funny. I actually got a call from one, from one of my guys that I've become friends with down there. And we were joking. I go, look. Take a look, and, and Johnny, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, look at the guys that Dave Gettleman have brought into this locker room, Paul, this year. Do you think this Bryant falls into the same category as those guys personality-wise? How about if I said square peg and circular hole? Yeah, I think that probably makes sense. <laughs> and look, if you get him on the veteran's minimum and you can you know, cut him if he turns out to be a pain in the butt, sure. But something tells me Des Bryant it's not anywhere for the veteran's, <laughs> veteran's minimum. Unlikely. Yes. Unlikely. Exactly. So. And by the way, 
I think everyone can hope now, or at least as someone that covers the Giants, we can hope that Calvin Ridley does not fall to the Cowboys in 19. That would be very bad. <laughs> would it? Uh, I think Calvin Ridley's a really good football player. I'm not as necessarily sold on him as others. He's a great route runner, Paul. Uh, like him, but I don't know that he's the best receiver in this draft. Who do you like better? DJ. You like DJ Moore. All right. And th- that that is the only other guy I would consider in the first round. I understand why you'd like DJ Moore, and I think he would also be a good selection for them at 19. I, I mean, agree with you. I'm with you. Remember, him. there were three wide receivers that went in the top 10 of last year's draft. Yes. And none of them did anything as rookies. Now, that's not to say that they won't be good Remember, at some point. We also think that all those guys were overdrafted, too. Yes, we did. We were surprised that all those guys. Actually, we thought Corey Davis would be top 10, but not top 3. Four, I think he yeah. went, but we were shocked that he John was, Ross and um, Williams went yes. in the top ten based off their Davis was by history. far the best of the crop yeah. going in. And, and he um, was also the best on the field this year, by the way. Yeah. He wasn't great, but he was still the best of the three. No uh, Amani Coopers no. or Beckhams no. or Evanses, none of those guys. I would not put Ridley or Moore <laughs> on that level. No, no question about it. That's what I mean. But that's why they could be there at 19th and not being gone in the top ten. Yeah. Right. You know. You know, I, I, look, if I'm Dallas, I have other holes I probably want to fill. Well, we got linebacker, right? That's one. Well, yeah. What I will say, mm-hmm. what I will say before we go, I will say this. Um, you know, if you're the Giants and you do need some more depth at wide receiver, let's not kid ourselves. Right now, it's a little thin there. There's some question marks and it's and there's some thinness. There are later on third round, fourth round guys who are going to be contributors and role players at wide receiver. That's where. The wide receiving core has some depth. Yeah, I think there'll be a big contributors. Run. I think there'll be a big run on guys in the second round, and then you look and see what's left after that yeah. run. The top of, of that group isn't great, right? But but there is some depth there guys, a, a, a good chunk of depth guys yeah. at receiver, and I do look for the Giants to try to take one at some point. Yeah, of all those guys, you know, Cortland Sutton, Anthony Miller out of Memphis, bunch of them. Um, Christian Kirk, um, who else? Equinamia St. Brown, DJ mm-hmm. Chark. Uh, mm-hmm. All those guys could be, you know, early, you know, second, early, third, third. round picks, and those are the guys you're kind of talking about. Probably in, in, even in a couple group. of fourth rounders who will contribute to somebody's team. Yeah, probably as contributors. So. I agree. All right, folks. Rob Rang from NFL Draft Scout and the Sports Exchange. I had a chance to talk to him yesterday, and now we're joined by Rob Rang. He's from NFLDraftScout.com and the Sports Exchange. Of course, we talked to Dane Brugler earlier in the week. We promoted his draft guy. It is right here. They call it the Beast. It's fantastic. Check it out. That's Dane's work. And, Rob, you're just as wonderful doing draft stuff as Dane is. And uh, I've been looking at your guide and checking it out. And the funny thing about it, Every year, there's a team that's kind of at the fulcrum, almost, of the draft. And what they do will decide how the rest of the first round goes. And lo and behold, I think that's where we are with the New York Football Giants in 2018. And I was just talking to Lance Meadow uh, the other day on our show about this. And from my perspective, at least, they've done a wonderful job of keeping keeping teams guessing. And no one around the league seems to know what the Giants are going to do. Is that your sense, talking to your contacts around the league as well? It very much is. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I've talked to a couple of different, you know, high-ranking scouts, general managers even, and they all kind of acknowledge, hey, they, they know Dave Gettleman. They, they've been following him for years, know him personally. They have no idea what the Giants are going to do at number two overall. And, you know, obviously with all due respect to the Cleveland Browns, having the number one overall pick, and at least right now the number four overall pick as well, you would think that the Browns would be running <laughs> this draft. But really the belief out there is, that the Giants basically are going to control what happens on draft day because, of course, Cleveland is expected to take a quarterback at one. Uh, and then what New York decides to do at number two, whether they go with the pass rusher like Bradley Chubb, the running back, Saquon Barkley, go with the, and then the young quarterback, uh, then either way that is going to set the stage for what's going to happen the whole rest of the draft. And, Rob, I'll get to the Browns in a second because that's going to impact the Giants, obviously. But I think that – uncertainty that Dave Gettleman has made sure is out there with his selection probably makes the chances that he'll get a big offer to trade down probably a little bit greater, right? Because teams aren't sure what he's going to do. Is he going to pick the quarterback? Then maybe a team has to trade up. What do you think the possibility is somebody backs up the truck here for the Giants at two, whether it's the Bills, the Broncos, or, or some other team that maybe I'm not even thinking of? Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think what what very much helps 
the Giants' position is the fact that there are so many quarterbacks in this draft class, and so there is going to be so much intrigue. Everybody's going to have their own opinion of who the top-rated quarterback is, um, and so that certainly helps. And then as well at the defensive end position I mentioned before with Bradley Chubb, if, if say, a team is, you know, is eager to get another pass rusher, then they have to react aggressively in this draft class because while there is very good depth at quarterback, there is very good depth at running back, there is no depth at defensive end. If you want a pass rusher, then you've got a potential pro bowler sitting there looking at you and Bradley Chubb likely to be available at number two overall. And so it would be Chubb or one of those quarterbacks is why I believe that there is going to be a significant uh, number of teams that are going to be talking to the Giants about possibly moving up. Um, we, we saw the expected um, you know, cost of of uh, you know, cost of business with what the Jets gave up to move up to number three overall from number six, and that of course wound up being three second round selections. Yeah. So I think that the Giants are going to be willing to ask for the moon, and they just may very well get that. Uh, that said, I think that the Giants are because you know because Dave Gelman has always believed in you know when you're drafting this high, you want to have an immediate impact player. I have a hard time uh, believing the Giants would be willing to move too far out of the top five, six, seven, eight, and that might be why a team like say the Buffalo Bills, who many are projecting as a possible trade partner, that maybe Buffalo wouldn't be quite the the fit for the Giants to trade out number two overall if indeed that was an offer given to them. Yeah, I happen to agree with you. Maybe they would have to go get the Colts pick and then move up again, but I think then the math on that with getting enough picks to do it becomes very, very tricky. I agree. I think it's tough. All right, again, putting the Browns aside for a second. If the Giants decide that they're going position player at two and they don't have anybody backing up the truck and you're looking at Quentin Nelson and Saquon Barkley, who I think most people agree, and I do as well, that they're probably the two highest-graded players in this draft. And then you have Bradley Chubb, the three players that I think people think are realistically uh, in the mix at two. How do you measure the position value of defensive end and the scarcity at defensive end, like you just mentioned in your last answer, with the high grades but also maybe a lower position value and better depth in this draft at running back and guard. Well, very, very carefully is the <laughs> easy answer on that. You know, I, I just really think that it comes down to, um, as you just mentioned, the depth at the other positions. I mean, the, the fact that running back is so strong. All due respect to Saquon Barkley. He is an incredible talent. He is going to come into the NFL, and I believe that he is going to have the, the same type of immediate impact that we've seen with top 10 rated or running backs, excuse me, drafted in the top 10 in the last several years, whether it be Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, whatever name that you want. And those all, all three of those backs wound up very much justifying their early selections and helping their teams compete immediately. And we've had previous conversations where I believe that the Giants are significantly more talented than most of the other teams selecting in the top ten. So there's a lot of reasons to believe that the Saquon Barkley, you can take him, he's the easy pick in this draft, basically. You, you take him, you plug him into an offense that already has a lot of talent around it, and the Giants' offense goes from being one of the least effective of a year ago to certainly one of the more effective, and I would argue that it has, it's going to have the best skill position talent of any offense in the NFC East, and that obviously yeah. is saying a great deal considering the Super Bowl champions are playing this division. So that makes a lot of sense to me. At the same time, I still believe that the best player uh, for the Giants, for any team selecting in the top five that needs any type of help with pass rusher, let's face it, they all do, that the safe play is, is Bradley Chubb. I mean, in terms of his positional versatility, having played linebacker before as well as defensive end. You, you, you see the athletic ability. You see the size, the strength, the use of hands. He is a more technically sound and polished player right now than Miles Garrett was a year ago. And so I certainly believe that he should be in play for the Giants at number two. And I have a hard time imagining any scenario in which that, he, that Bradley Chubb is not among the top four selections unless there is a significant trade out. And if you look at the Quentin Nelson, if you look at Saquon Barkley, I'm not quite as confident in saying that Saquon Barkley or, uh, or, or Quentin Nelson are definitely going to go in the top four. I do see scenarios that way. But with Bradley Trump, I think he's going to go in the top four, and that's why I think when it's all said and done, if no one does indeed back up, back the truck up, as you mentioned, that I think the Giants stand pat number two, and that Bradley Chubb is most likely to be their selection number two overall. 
Rob, are you buying the smoke? Uh, are the Browns really considering taking Josh Allen over Sam Darnold? <laughs> there is a lot of smoke out there, and some of it is coming from me, frankly, because I've been <laughs> I have been told that from from some of the, wow. the some of my sources in Cleveland that they are very intrigued by what Josh Josh Allen brings. Now, I don't know that that would be the case if the the Cleveland Browns had not already made the trade for Tyrod Taylor. They feel like they have a starting caliber quarterback in place right now, and they can use this draft to build around him, including the young quarterback. And of course, we saw an example of this a year ago with the Chicago Bears and making their big move for Mike Glennon and, of course, taking Mitchell Trubisky. That said, in my own eyes, I see Josh Allen as a possible top 10 pick if you're willing to buy into all of his upside. Sam Darnold, in my opinion, is the top-rated quarterback in this draft class, should be the first quarterback selected. If you want to go with a playmaker like a Baker Mayfield, I can at least understand that argument. If you want to go with a more polished passer in Josh Rosen, again, I can understand that argument. For me, the top quarterback in this draft class has been and has always been Sam Darnold, and that's who I would select. But at the same time, there is – uh, a number of different opinions on this year's quarterback class. I've talked to clubs that have Josh Rosen as the top quarterback. I've talked yeah. to clubs that have Baker Mayfield, clubs that have Josh Allen, and the most of them have Sam Donald. I still believe the most likely scenario is Sam Donald goes number one to the Cleveland Browns. But Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, I believe that they are still in play. And so there's a possibility that you're going to have a quarterback who I believe is a top-rated passer in the Giants sport, Sam Donald, still be on the board at number two overall. And boy, would that be interesting because if trucks are ever going to get backed up, they're going to get backed up as Darnold's on the board, or the Giants love him so much they have to take him. And boy, I would love to have my head in that war room if that decision uh, has to get made. You mentioned uh, Josh Rosen. How much do you think teams around the league are worried about the two concussions and his health issues? Is that, is that primarily, you think, what's keeping him from being a number one quarterback on most boards, or is it the attitude stuff that some people are throwing out there? Because to me, the injuries scare me. Because as an NFL team, that's something I can't control. And when there's something you can't control, that's terrifying. How much are teams worried about the injuries with Rosen? I think that they're very very concerned about it. It's not only the fact that he has had these concussions and had the shoulder injuries and things of that nature. It's the fact that, that he plays with a little bit of a – of almost a confidence, uh, but almost a brazenness with his style of play. He doesn't protect his body very well. He does have a little bit of a of a weaker frame. And he, I have to give him credit. He came in uh, heavier than I expected, taller than I expected at the combine. But having watched him in person and having watched just kind of the the way he's built, he has narrow wrists and ankles, and that's usually a sign of maybe he may struggle to add weight. And, you know, talked about the, the, the leadership and the attitude and things of that, the, that nature. Sometimes that just gets kind of pushed off like that's nothing. It, it, it's not so much that, you know, he's, that Josh Rosen is willing to give a tasty quote or things of that nature. It's the fact that he didn't come from a uh, from an environment where he had to work hard. He, he, had, he, did, he had, did come from money. He has come from a very uh, successful family and things of that nature. And, and so there is just a belief among some scouts I've spoken to who don't believe that he has that eye of the tiger, so to speak, that he is the guy that you want leading your team um, you know, late in a ball game. I mean, he comes from a family that is, in, is into ice skating and tennis and things of that that nature, not to disparage those two sports in any way, but they are obviously individual sports. They are not something that's team-related. And so when you have conversations with some of Josh Rosen's ex-coaches, some of the ex-players that he played with at the high school level, the college level, there are some concerns that way. And, of course, as you mentioned, you know, teams want to be able to control things just like they can't control a player's medical history or his body type. They can't control his personality, and there are some red flags of Josh Rosen, and that's why I believe that as, as polished of a passer as he is, that he is the quarterback who could wind up slipping a little bit on draft day. Rob, where do you think Rashawn Evans is going to drop in this draft class? Because the Giants need linebackers. He's a guy that's rushed the passer from linebacker. He's played off the ball. I think he'd be an interesting Swiss Army knife for James Betrusskeen that likes to move his linebackers around. Do you think he could still be on the board at 34 overall in round number two? You think he's definitely a first-round pick? 
I think that he's most likely to be a first-round pick. I agree with you wholeheartedly that he'd be a terrific fit in New York. I mean, just his versatility. And I, I still believe that Evans is a player who is on the rise. I mean, of course, he didn't wind up becoming a, a full-time starter until this past season. Um, but that's more of a reflection of the talent that Alabama had at linebacker, of course. But, you know, because he was used in such a variety of roles, you mentioned the blitzing, also being asked to drop back into coverage. He's one of the true three-down linebackers in this draft class. And in my opinion, there's really only about four of them, and I expect them all to go in the top 34 selections. So not only Evans, but of course, Raquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds, um, but then also Leighton Van Der Esch. And because there have been a few concerns about Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, the terrific linebacker from Boise State who, like Evans, um, you know, really exploded this pat the 2017 season and, you know, made himself um, – uh, you know, a first-round prospect because there have been some medical questions about him. Some are some are concerned about his neck, a prior injury with him. Oh. And I think that he might still be available at number 34 overall. But I have talked to a couple of clubs up there, and they say, no, medically he's fine, he's going to be good. Because there's a, potentially a little bit of concern with him, I think that Leighton Van Der Esch, as much as I like him, that he might be the linebacker who's potentially available at number 34 overall. I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if Evans is still on the block, still on the clock. If either one of them are available, I think that they make a lot of sense for the Giants number 34. Interesting. I didn't hear about any medical concerns for Van Der Esch. That's, that, that, that's new for me. I'll have to keep an eye on that one, Rob. Um, other options top of round number two for the Giants. Uh, they need some corner help. They don't really have um, a guy that's played slot at a high level the last few years. William Gay was a veteran addition, but he lost that job last year to somebody mid-year. Who do you think could be available and sitting there top around two or even top around three if you think that's a better fit that the Giants could add at the corner position? Well, one of the corners I don't think is getting enough attention is Isaiah Oliver from Colorado. Now, he is more of an outside press guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at the same time, he does have some experience fighting inside. Dante Jackson from LSU, of course, the fastest man uh, at the Combine, was, uh, you know, he is a guy who, who has the experience playing in the nickel role and has that straight line speed. Um, and again, I, I talked about it before that if the Giants were to go with a Saquon Barkley at number two overall, then the Giants would then have, in my opinion, the best set of skill position players in the division. At the same time, this is still a very talented division when it comes to uh, wide receivers and quarterbacks. And so I agree. I think that, that nickel corner is a potential area of concern. And if you can have a guy that can run 4 3 2. Uh, or in the four threes in his sleep, the way that John Jay Jackson proudly said that he could do, uh, then I think that that makes a lot of sense as well. So if you're looking for a plug-and-play type of guy that is experienced, is physical, Isaiah Oliver, Carlton Davis from Auburn would be another one that I think fit in well with what New York is looking to do. If you're looking specifically more to that nickel corner and you want a guy who is still – uh, you know, has the potential um, to, to improve, then Dante Jackson LSU is a corner who has a lot of buzz around him right now. Um, and because of his position versatility, played inside, played outside at corner, as well as safety at LSU, and, and, and the Tigers' track record of, of producing consistently NFL-caliber defensive backs, that's why Dante Jackson is the guy to keep in mind for early day two uh, as well. Of the interior offensive linemen that we expect to go between 15 and 30, and I'm going to throw Isaiah Wynn, Will Hernandez, James Daniels, Billy Price, all those four guys into the mix here. Which one of those four, if any, and I'll let me throw Connor Williams into the mix too, why not? Who Some people think we'll have to move into guard. Of those five, who do you think has the best chance of being there at 34? Uh, I think probably Will Hernandez because he's viewed as just a guard. Uh, whereas other, you know, Billy Price, James Daniels, they they have uh, they're athletic enough to either play guard as Billy Price did at Ohio State, or um, or, or project a guard. At least my opinion, James Daniels has that ability, and he is going to be more fundamentally sound um, after working with Kirk Ferentz, of course, at, at the University of Iowa. You know, Connor Williams and, you know, his questions about can he make that move inside the guard, I mean, that's a little bit of a transition, and he hasn't been asked to do that just yet. Um, you know, and I think that his ability to play tackle and did so at a high level is going to put him in the first round. I agree. And, uh, you know, so all those guys. But 
Will Fernandez Davis, on the other hand, you know, as much as I love him, he's one of my favorite players in this draft class. Four-year starter at UTEP, and it didn't matter the fact that the Miners wound up not winning a single game a year ago. You wouldn't know it with the way that Hernandez played and competed. I love his strength. I love his frame. I think that he is a, you know, just a, a plug-and-play left guard, but at the same time, because that's all he is, because he does have that short blocking frame and roughly six two and a half, three hundred thirty five pounds, with shorter arms than ideal, then you know you don't know that you're necessarily going to be able to get a difference maker that's actually going to be able to translate into more victories for your team. As I mentioned, UTEP didn't win a single game a year ago, so. At number 34 overall, if I had to pick one of those five, I think that Will Hernandez slipping out of the first round and being among the first five to eight selections of the second round, that would be the, the bet I would be making. Rob, you're great at identifying late-round sleepers. Give me one, two, three names, day three, that you really like, that you think might be a little underrated, and the team can get a steal in rounds four through seven. Well, you know, for me, I mean, saying sleeper is, is like kind of like telling a teacher to pick out your favorite <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a little bit difficult because I, I think of, well, I, I hear sleeper, I think of, I just kind of go by position. So I can just kind of give you, you know, certain positions where I like uh, players. And I mentioned before, I think the, the, the depth in this year's class at quarterback and, and running back is spectacular. So one of the quarterbacks that I'm very high on is Mike White from Western Kentucky. Uh, I, to me, I think he is a guy that would be absolutely earning top 100 buzz consistently. He would just be a shoe-in to be a top 100 pick in a normal draft class. But because we may have as many as six quarterbacks come off the board in the first round, then Mike White might wind up sliding down the board a little bit. So Western Kentucky over the last couple of years was very successful there. Um, Saw him at the Senior Bowl. He has the arm. He's 6'5", 230 pounds. He has the size that you're looking for. Um, And so he is a quarterback that I believe is potentially a future starter that you might be able to get on day three. Um, As far as running backs, there's a whole bunch of them, but I'm going to focus in on some of the bigger backs of this draft class because generally speaking, that's where you have to invest early on if you're going to get a big back but Kalen Balazs from Arizona State is a is a running back that, that I feel like has the, the, the traits the explosiveness the, the speed the size 6'1 230 pounds running in the low four fives um, and then had like a I believe it's a 38 plus uh, inch vertical jump really shows the explosiveness that he provides um, and even a, it's not very often you can you can accurately say that an Alabama player could be a sleeper, <laughs> but Bo Scarborough people forget about him, yeah. you know. I mean, but he has that type of size as well, um, and and so he's a really intriguing player. So those are some of the guys that that that's why I believe that you can opt to go in a different direction other than skill positions, other than quarterbacks or running backs in the top five because on day three there's a lot more of them that have starting caliber traits. Rob, great stuff. Now just give me your prediction for the Giants, round one and two, what you think they'll do, and then who you would pick if you were making the pick. Your prediction first. Well, I would go with Bradley Chubb, number two overall. I think that's the, that's the direction that the Giants ultimately are going to go into. I mean, once they made the decision to trade away Jason Pierre-Paul, I thought the writing was on the wall. This is a club that uh, you're, you're going to want to find an immediate impact player, and that obviously fills a position of concern. Um, you look at the teams in the division, um, and that's where I think that the Giants can attack them best. Um, so I would have Bradley Chubb, number two overall. And then we mentioned before, Will Hernandez. Uh, I, I think that he is in play, but I'm going to go outside and go with a running back. If Nick Chubb is available at number 34 overall, I think that you can now erase your concerns about the running back position and still get a player who has the, uh, the athletic ability, the toughness, and the size that fits in with what uh, Dave Gelman certainly has built his teams around in the past. So that would be Bradley Chubb in the first round, and then Nick Chubb, the cousin, in the second round. Uh, as far as the players that I think that I would select, um, you know, I would go with, with one of the young quarterbacks. I think that you're very rarely going to be in a position to select one of those quarterbacks. I We talked about this before. I would love to have been in the interview room and have these conversations with the Josh Rosen. Assuming Sam Darnold goes number one overall, um, I believe that, that Josh Rosen has all of the physical traits you're looking for to be a young franchise quarterback. I think back years ago, and I know I'm mixing my sports here, but I grew up a little bit of a, of a basketball fan. And I remember the San Antonio Spurs when they had 
uh, David Robinson, the great center, go down to injury and not put them in position. Yeah. Number one overall, Tim Duncan. And they paired those two twin towers together and obviously wound champion, won themselves in championships. I look yeah, at the, the Giants Knicks. being a, a, a core, sort of a similar situation here, that they obviously have a, a terrific quarterback in Eli Manning, potential Hall of Fame quarterback there. But if you are not going to be in position very often to select a young franchise quarterback, so that's why I would take a quarterback. If Josh, or excuse me, if Sam Darnold was available, he would be yep. my pick. I it would take multiple first round picks for me to consider trading out of that opportunity to select my young quarterback. If not, Josh Rosen would be my selection at number two overall. And then at the top of the second round, again, I might consider a running back like a Bradley Chubb just because if you're going with a young quarterback, then you're under the belief that you're not likely to be playing him the first season. So I definitely would want an immediate impact type of player in the second round. That would be one of those two Georgia running backs, in my opinion, either Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle. Both of them, I think, hit the ground running and help New York maintain that offensive identity that they've had in the past. Rob, great stuff. We always enjoy your work. Thank you for being a friend of the program during draft season. Thanks so much. Get back to work, and we will talk to you down the road, all right? Sounds great. Thanks, John. That's Rob Ryan, NFL Draft Scout. Um, com and Sports Exchange. He joins us right now on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We thank Paul Vitino, who was with me earlier, and thank you to the calls on our other guest. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com. Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegel's return, and then we have Dave Gettleman's press conference as well. Make sure you stay tuned. We'll see you then. Have a great day.